It's one thing to wrestle with the power or the ability to forgive somebody else. But what if you're in a place where you find it difficult to forgive yourself? Last week, Ben uh, broached the topic of forgiveness where we looked at the hard saying of Jesus, where Jesus said, forgive the people around you, not just seven times, but 77 times, which implied endlessly forgive. And so uh, Ben did a great job of taking those words of Jesus and making them practical uh, to the point where if, if you missed last week, I highly encourage you, uh, go to our website, check out the message. And here's kind of a fun thing for this week too. What you can do now with our messages is you can even, if you have an Alexa at home, enable the North Cross Church skill and you can just say, Alexa, open North Cross Church and you'll hear Ben talking. It's, it's, it's a miracle of, of technology. So if you have an Alexa app, check that out. It'll, it'll be fun to do. But last week he talked about forgiveness and all the different things that go along with that. And it was an amazing message. There could have been so much more, but thank God he pared it down to his 35 minutes of, of talking. Uh, he did a great job. There's so many different things he could have added. But for today's sake, as we talk about self-forgiveness, there's one more element that makes forgiveness a little tricky to navigate. You see, when we look at how other people might offend us, there's really one thing that we look at, and that is their behavior. How they treat us, what they do to us, what they say about us, these are the things that we take note of, and then when it comes time to forgive, we look at their behavior. That's how we evaluate them, that's how we judge them, based on their behavior. But the difference is, when we evaluate our own actions, we don't just evaluate our behavior, we judge ourselves based on our intentions. We judge others based on how they behave, but we judge ourselves based on our intentions. Here's what that looks like. So last week, Ben talked about a traffic analogy, so we'll just keep the traffic thing going, because I think we all deal with traffic to some degree. Um, the, the analogy is this. You're driving back from church today, driving home or driving wherever you're going, and you're in the right lane taking your nice leisurely Sunday drive when out of nowhere someone comes screaming past you in the left lane going at least 10 miles per hour over the speed limit. Now you see their behavior, they're speeding, and what do you immediately think? They're reckless, they're a menace to society, who do they think they are? Do they own the road? Why are they, and then fourthly, where are the police? Like you just wanna see that person you know, get pulled over. And we judge them based on their behavior. But here's the other part of this. Let's say it's tomorrow evening. Your relative is flying in and you're 30 minutes late picking them up from the airport. You're the one in the left lane pushing the speed limit. You're the one who's screaming past other people and you're thinking, why are they going so slow today? You see, you can justify what you're doing because you know your intentions. You're trying to get to the airport. You're trying to be there for someone. You're trying to pick up your kid from school, whatever it might be. You judge yourself based on your intentions, but you judge other people based on their behavior. And by the way, behavior is just the tip of the iceberg. When we look at our intentions that go behind it, it gets really complicated. We look at, uh, for example, part of our intentions include past experiences. Well, the reason I'm acting this way is because this is what I experienced growing up. And if only they knew what kind of life I had, they would give me a little bit more grace. Some of what we do, our intentions are based on our current experiences or our current circumstances. Where if you understood why that person was driving the way they are, you might understand a little bit and just pull over a little bit more. Maybe their son is having an asthma attack in the backseat. 
If you knew the present circumstances, the current circumstances, that builds into why you are the way you are. And then finally, the, the uh, future hopes, the things that you're aiming for, going for, these all build into your intentions that then direct your behavior. So I'll go back to what I said before. We often judge others based on their behavior, but we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt by judging ourselves by our own intentions. And what I hope to describe here is simply number one on your sheet. Your self is the most complicated person to forgive. You can't just look at your own actions and behaviors and decide right or wrong, forgive, and then move on. You have to deal with a front row seat to your deepest, darkest desires, intentions, hopes, dreams. You have to deal with your past, your present, your future. And you have to boil it all down to the point where you feel good about where you're at. And as we talk about this, what we're going to see is that this is more complicated than you might think. As I, as I prepared the message for today, sometimes this happens where I find what I call my line of thought. You know, it goes from A to B to C to D, and then I kind of flesh out the parts in between, and there, there you go, I have a message. That's why I don't need notes that much, because I can find my line of thought, and then I'm good. But I, I found my line of thought, but then it got changed yesterday, where um, I wouldn't say God spoke to me. I don't, I don't think he does that to me anyway, but... Uh, as I was reading more about the concept of forgiving self, uh, something came to mind. See, sometimes you might hear this or you might even say this where you say, I'll never forgive myself for that. And here's where I got redirected yesterday. Technically speaking, nobody can forgive themselves. Forgiveness is an act of canceling a debt. So, when was the last time you borrowed 10 bucks from yourself and then failed to pay yourself back? Can you just forgive that debt? I think that's maybe called printing money, which won't work. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, I will never forgive myself. Technically, nobody can forgive themselves because you can't really give forgiveness to yourself. You can't cancel a debt that belongs to you. So if you're in a growth group, you can talk about this statement this week. What do you think people mean by that? Or what do you mean by this statement, but as I think about it, here's what I think people th think about that. They say, I don't deserve to be forgiven. I did something at such a level that I don't want anyone to forgive me. And if they would extend forgiveness to me, I would not accept it. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I deserve to suffer for what I did. And as we're about to see in another hard saying of Jesus, that's a difficult thought to bring into your relationship with God. Does God extend to you forgiveness that you then say, no, I don't deserve that. I don't, I'm not going to be forgiven today. And as we deal with this, first of all, if you're seeing someone like a counselor to, to work through some of this stuff, take their word for it. I'm just here to give some spiritual oversight and maybe some understanding to why we think the way we do. But if you've ever thought this, or if maybe you're thinking this today in a certain area of your life, like, I, I'll, I don't think I could forgive myself for that. Here's what I want to do. I want to look at a few ways that we tend to, to skirt this issue. 
The reason we try to get around it and not address it is because it's so uncomfortable. We know this from last week. Sometimes when you offend someone or when they offend you, you can forgive them, but you will never be reconciled. Your relationship won't be the same as it was before. But with you, you kind of have to reconcile with yourself. You have to live with you. And if you can't forgive yourself, then you're living at odds with yourself. And here are some ways that we tend to try to get around this and and lessen the pain. Uh, One way is that we compare ourselves to others where whatever guilt we're holding, we say, well, at least there's someone else more guilty than I am, so I don't feel quite as guilty because I could be worse. That doesn't help. That doesn't work. Another thing we often do is we numb the pain. Maybe it's a, a, a chemical dependency. Maybe, maybe it's a spending thing. Maybe it's working too much. You distract yourself so that you don't have to deal with the fact that you can't forgive yourself. Or finally, this is kind of next level, but you say to yourself, well, that wasn't really me. That person who did that thing, who thinks that way, that's somebody else. I would never do that. I'm better than that. That was a different version of me. And as your pastor, I just want to tell you this morning, That was you. That was not someone else. That was not someone else's behavior. That was not someone else's intentions. You need to own that. And as we look into Jesus' hard saying for today, he says, you need to own whatever it is that you can't forgive yourself for. Because it's only when you ultimately own it that God can release you from it. And here's what I think, as we look into these hard words that Jesus has to share today, he's going to give you freedom. And I pray, if, if, you're, if you're here today or if, if you're listening, watching online, what I pray is that if you have an area of your life where you say, I can't forgive myself, my prayer is that at least by the end of this message, you would have a pathway to navigate that in a healthy way and to listen and believe the truth that Jesus wants you to listen to and believe. So much like in many of the messages, for some reason, we're landing back in Matthew chapter 18, which is a great chapter to read if you want to read all about forgiveness because it brings up all sorts of different elements to it. Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to live today. Uh, This was a biography written about Jesus in the first century, written by a guy named Matthew. And as he recorded the story of Jesus, he recorded this chapter where we get a bunch of difficult sayings all in one place. So Matthew chapter 18, we're going to dive into the first verse here where Jesus says this. Woe to the world. Woe to the world. That's not the same. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Now, we don't say woe to the world these days. What Jesus was communicating or what Matthew wrote in the Greek language is more of a lament. And lament isn't a word we use either, so... What he was communicating is that Jesus said, it's just, I feel so bad that this is the way things are. It was kind of his way of, of commiserating with the situation of the world. Disaster to the world. Regret to the world. So sorry for the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. If you read uh, different translations, you'll see that stumble is sometimes translated as sin, which is a fair translation. Um, I appreciate what the uh, New International Version did with this because the word sin in the Greek is actually a different word. It means to you're aiming for, for something, but you miss the mark. Um, 
this word is different. It's not missing the mark. It's actually a, a different word that in, in some ways means stumble, but in the same way, that's not the best word either. Sometimes when we think about stumbling, it's like you're going somewhere and you kind of get tripped up, but then you catch yourself and you keep going. This isn't that kind of a stumble. The word can also be used to uh, denote the piece of wood or the stick that's holding up the trap. So the animal goes into the trap, eats the bait, and as soon as it nudges that stick, that stumbling block, the whole thing comes down, and that animal stays there longer than it wanted to, and it is separated from where it wants to go. And that's how Jesus used that word in relation to the world around us. Woe to the world, because around you there are traps, there are stumbling blocks that will keep you where you don't want to stay and separate you from where you want to go. And as he goes forward, he's going to give some warnings. These traps are things that aren't immediately obvious to us, as any, no trap is. And so he's, he's, it's this lament, woe to the world, regret to the world. I feel sorry for the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. And specifically with the stumble, it's this not just separation like, oh, I didn't get the job I wanted, or oh, my relationship isn't as good as I wanted it to be. As Jesus shares this, the context is separation from God. Being kept away from God and not being able to reach God because of these things that trap us. Uh, one thing I'll turn back to maybe later in the message is we just went through a series called Chasing Carrots. And I would say that that was a series about stumbling blocks. Things that promise us good things, but in the end end up uh, uh, making us trapped. I'm just going to pause right there. Did things just get dramatic? <laughs> Usually we save that for the end of the message. But... Uh, <laughs> I just feel God speaking to me right now. <laughs> um, and, and so there are so many things in this world that can promise us, promise us, but then they end up to be something empty. They, ta- they keep us where we don't want to be longer than we want to be there, and they separate us from God. And so some translations then just call this sin. Uh, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin that uh, separate them from God. We'll, We'll flesh this out in just a little bit, but first one more verse. So woe to the world, such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Because you live in this world, the way the Bible describes it, it's like you're living in complete darkness, and on top of that, you are blind. And... Um, I was thinking back to my childhood growing up. My uh, brother Michael is 12 years older than I am, which I think I've told you I'm the, I'm the oops baby of the family. Uh, and uh, anyway, I'd go to bed earlier than he would. We, we shared a bedroom. And whenever he'd come to bed, you know, it's dark. He can see nothing. And so what he would do is he'd flash the light on for just a split second, and that would give him enough sight to see where he was going. But Every time it would wake me up and I'd get so mad, so mad, so mad. But what Jesus is saying that is that life in this world, you don't even get that flicker of light. You're just feeling around trying to find your way out. You're trying to find the answers to questions like, who am I? What's my purpose? Where am I going? What gives me joy? What brings me happiness? And we don't see anything. We're just trying to feel around and figure out where we're going. And so Jesus says, it is inevitable that you will get stuck in a trap. Woe to the person who sets these traps up to get people stuck. 
Woe to that person. He just did an entire section before this about people who trap others. But then as Jesus is preaching, he's talking to the people and he says, man, these people don't know how blind they really are. It's not just other people setting up traps in their lives to keep them from God. These people themselves are setting their own traps. Uh, one way I illustrate this is uh, if you plant a tree, you call 411 to, before you dig in the ground, you know, and they go and mark all with flags where you can dig and where you can't dig. Or I guess it's just where you can't dig, right? Because if they put flags where you could dig, it'd be a mess. They, they, they put flags where you can't dig, and so you know to stay away from power lines or gas lines. What Jesus is doing is he's starting to put some flags down to say, here are the traps, here are the stumbling blocks that will keep you longer than you wanted to stay and separate you from the one you want to be with. He's putting down these warning flags. Woe to the person, woe to the person through whom they come. But then in the next sentence, he starts planting flags close to home. He says this, if your foot or if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, if your hand becomes a trap that keeps you from God, if your foot takes you somewhere where you shouldn't go and it keeps you from God, or if your eye causes you to stumble, if it looks for or longs for or desires something that takes you away from God, if it wants to chase carrots, and he's going to go on, but for now I just want to pause and ask you the question. What part of you keeps getting caught in the trap. Number two on your sheet, which part of you keeps getting caught in the trap? As you think back to the Chasing Carrot series, which I know is kind of weird when a pastor quotes himself or quotes his own church, but it's timely and we just went through it. But when you think of the, the Chasing Carrots, there's so many things that we can chase, but so often we are our own worst enemy. Is it your hand? And Jesus didn't give any application. He didn't explain. He just let the people's imaginations run. Is it your hand to strike people, to write things, to, to do things that are bad, taking matters into your own hands? Is it your foot that takes you places where you shouldn't go? Is it, is it your eye that looks at things that it shouldn't look at? What part of you has been leading you away from God? Jesus wants you to mark it with a flag, mark it. And then what he says next is arguably one of the hardest things he said to do. He says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Can we just read that last part together? In fact, turn to the person next to you and tell them this. Can we do that? Say, cut it off and throw it away with me. Just turn to someone next to you and say that, ready? Cut it off and throw it away. You feel better now? Here's why. It is better for who? Turn to them and say, it's better for you. It's, you guys are doing good today. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal life. See See the connection. It's better to cut it off and throw it away instead of all of you being thrown away into the eternal fire. He goes on. Or, if your eye causes you to stumble, should we say this to each other? 
It's getting kind of gross. Let's just leave it as it is. Gouge it out and throw it away because it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes or four eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. It is better for you to suffer some now than to suffer everything later. Now, there's so much we could say about this, and maybe the big thing is that if you're newer to this church, if you're newer to the Bible, one of the questions that you should have is, how can there be a place called hell? And how could there be a loving God who eternally punishes someone for what they did in the course of 50, 60, 80 years? Tell me how that works. Now, this is a bigger discussion and a bigger issue for a different day, but one thing is, I'll just tell you that Jesus, who proved himself to be the Son of God through miracles and then died and came back to life, he believed and taught that hell is a real place. And the second thing is, I can't do this justice, but if you're having trouble reconciling that hell is a place that exists, um, maybe think of it in these terms, that God didn't just wake up on one day of creation and say, hey, I'm going to make a place called hell and just send a whole bunch of people there because it's fun. Uh, the, the, the creation of hell was not a matter of divine choice or divine preference. It was more a matter of divine necessity. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Those who are wicked cannot be in the presence of him who is not wicked. Darkness cannot exist with light. By sheer necessity, God had to create a place that was separated from him, and he created that place called hell. And that's what gives Jesus this pressing matter to talk about. Jesus believed that what happens in the course of your lifetime can set you up for one place or the other. And if part of you is leading you to hell, it is better for you to cut it off and throw it away now than for all of you to end up there. And so we kind of leave it at that. Like, that's the end of the hard saying, and it's not so fun, is it? Because as you start to apply this, number one, we have some eye patches on your way out today. As you start to apply this, it becomes really painful to think about. Not just the parts of your body, but to think of the things that take up your time, your schedule, your life, your energy. And now everything is called into question. And that's not really fair, is it? To, to say that God needs everything of all of my life. And how do I even do that? And then to, to further that, to, to say that Jesus wants us to cut off parts that, that cause us to sin. Well, here's the thing. You're going to start with a pinky and you're going to work your way up to your hand and your arm and your leg and your ears and your eyes and your nose and your tongue. And pretty soon you won't have anything left, but that will not have solved the problem. You might be able to curb your behavior on the outside, but no amount of cutting and throwing or gouging and throwing will be able to address the real problem, the intentions of your heart. And here's where I want to provide relief and good news. When Jesus established his church, he did not tell them to go out with arm splints and, and eye patches, but he told them to go out with some good news. We were dead. All of us, every part, doomed for destruction. And the miracle of the gospel is this, that the almighty God would come down here to live among us in a body just like yours and mine, flesh and blood, 
living under the pressures of this world, living with the temptations and the lures and all the carrots of this world. And he remained perfect, flawless. He didn't have to cut off anything because no part of him was leading him to stumble or separate him from God. But the amazing part of the story is this, that he willingly went into the trap and sprung the stumbling block. He willingly went in and separated himself from God. You don't have to cut off your hands or your feet because your hands and feet were already nailed to a cross through Christ. You don't have to gouge out your eye because God's vision from you was separated when Jesus died on the cross. And the good news, the good news is that three days later, that trap was broken. You don't have to worry about somehow conforming to a certain set of behavior because God has done something so much more powerful. He addressed the real issue on the inside. He addressed the heart. It was dead. It was selfish. It was detestable to God, and so he sent his son Jesus to die. And when he died, he took that old heart, and in his resurrection, he planted a new one to the point where the apostles, Paul, as he looks at Christians to this day, if he were here, he'd look at you and say, there is now the power of Jesus' resurrection living in you, changing you from the inside out, even conforming your behavior so that you are being transformed into the image of Christ. Not because you hacked away and tried to make yourself better, but because he transformed you from the inside. This is a free gift, a free gift. So if you say to yourself, I just don't know if I can forgive myself, you're right. You don't have the power to cancel any debt. Maybe just what you need to hear is that you don't need to. You see, Jesus addressed the guilt and the shame that went along with your debt, and he decided that it is canceled. And he won that for you. And now he's building within you this new heart through his resurrection power. And this is kind of phrased negatively. I, I didn't go for a big shock factor, but I just wanted to put it in succinct terms. You can't really forgive yourself of anything, but in the long run, eternally, there is one thing that you'll never forgive yourself for. Number three, you'll never forgive yourself for what you never repent of. And this is, this is true of, of uh, relationships too. Sometimes when my kids do something bad and they know it was bad, there's, it's not like a gray area, it's black and white. They did something bad, they got addressed, there were circumstances, now they go off and they mope in their room. All they need to do is come say, Dad, I'm sorry, and I will give them unconditional love. Sometimes it's just a pain waiting for that moment to come. And what I know about your Heavenly Father is simply this too. If, If you've been living with this guilt where you haven't been able to forgive yourself, would you let that go and just say, Father, I'm sorry. I repent. He is longing to give you the peace and the freedom of forgiveness. And what I want to close with here is uh, four quick ways. This is just drawn from what Jesus taught in this section. Four ways to to know what does it mean to repent of something? And what should that look like for me? We'll go kind of quickly here. Uh, First thing, this is on your sheets if you want to fill them out. Number one, identify it. Plant the flag where it needs to be planted. Is there part of you Is there part of you that is still pulling you away from what God wants for you? 
Is it what you see? Is it lust? Is it, is it a, a, an addiction? Uh, is it uh, improper balance in your life that is just pulling you away from what you know God wants to be true? Would you identify it? And I'm sure by this point, at least all, most of you have already thought of at least something in your life that you know Jesus would plant the flag there if he were here, present physically with you here today. Second part I think is important, that is to mourn it. You know, Jesus talks about cutting off hands, cutting off feet. That can't just be an, oh sure, I'll just cut off my hand, cut off my foot. There has to be a moment where you're thinking, this is going to stink. And in the context of the traps, you know what, maybe for a, a a long part of your life, you've been looking at this thing and it's been providing you with a crutch. It's been numbing you to the pain. It's been distracting you from the fact that you can't, convince, you can't uh, forgive yourself. Would you just take a moment and say, this was something I held on to for a season in my life. I'm going to mourn this. And then I'm going to get rid of it. Third thing, sever it. Sever it. And what I mean by that is, Jesus said, cut it off. But I think for us, severing something means to change your environment so that it is no longer present. If you get it out of the house, it is not a trap. If you get it out of your head, out of your heart, out of your workplace, it is not a trap. Sever it. And then the last thing this I think is really important, throw it. Uh, which means hold zero nostalgia for it. You don't look back at it and say, oh, I remember the good old years when I'd get drunk every single night. Oh, that was a good old time. No, that was someone who was forgiven. That has been severed. That is in the past. Whatever it is, identify it, mourn it, sever it, throw it. Don't look back. Don't look back. And I think the reason why this can be difficult is because as we look at the current situation in our lives, we might think to ourselves, yeah, but that's going to be really hard, and if I do this, life just won't be the same. What makes this difficult is when you or I believe the lie that the best is now behind us. Maybe you've been looking at this thing as the only way you can numb yourself, the only way you can get along with yourself, but here's what I want you to know and believe to be true. The best is yet to come. That is true absolutely, 100% eternally. Jesus promised that. No matter what you have to cut and throw away in this life, it's the best is yet to come. And also, what is almost a guarantee is this. The best is yet to come, not just someday when you die and get to heaven, but you will experience a sense of joy and peace when you take that trap that's been holding you in place, and by the power of Christ's death and resurrection, you let it be dismantled, and you find the freedom that only his forgiveness can bring. Thanks so much for being here today. Next week, I hope you come back. We're going to wrap up the series by looking at one final saying of Jesus. He was deliberately hard so that it would have a certain effect on the people who were listening to him. We'll close today with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, uh, I was a little nervous going into this message today, a lot nervous, because this, this touches close to home to a lot of people. Um, I know a lot of us already carry guilt and shame for the way our lives were or even the way our lives are and now here we are addressing these things that just make us feel worse and I pray that this would be like the surgeon who maybe opens the wound to address the deeper issue inside 
that now that we've placed your power of the resurrection and your forgiveness within us, that we can find some healing and some hope as we look forward and find the purpose that you have for us. Transform our past stories to be narratives of your forgiveness. Open our eyes to the current circumstances where we see opportunities open for us to tell your story and realign our future hopes so that they can all point to a life that's been transformed by your forgiveness. Bless all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.